lecture, uh, uh, reading, uh, readings really, two readings from Luke's Gospel uh, this morning. Firstly from Luke chapter 1. And we'll read together from verse 26. It's page 1026 in the Pew Bible. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent an angel sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's Servant, Mary answered, may it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. And for our second, uh, over the page, as it were, to Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. Luke chapter 2. And verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem. 
to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Amen. Uh, finished our journey through a selection of the minor prophets last Sunday evening. And for those who were here, you'll remember that uh, we, left the, we left that journey, I suppose we might say, uh, with Malachi's concluding words. Malachi means my messenger, and the Lord's messenger points forward to a day when God will send an even greater messenger at a new Elijah almost to, to point the way to an even greater, greater messenger still, to point the way and to prepare the way for uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so today we jump past Luke's account of the entrance of John the Baptist who came in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. We jump past that account so that we might meet Mary, a young woman, almost certainly still a teenager, uh, who has been given by God this enormous responsibility to bring Jesus into the world. 
She is, in many ways, just at the, the very start of her own life. And she's given this unspeakably enormous role and responsibility. It's a responsibility, when you stop to think about it, that is greater than the responsibility placed onto the shoulders of any emperor or any king or queen or prophet or priest that has come before her. Just a young woman. And God gives her this great task. Quite out of the blue. She's been chosen by God to do something that will change everything. She's been chosen by God to do something that we gather together this morning to celebrate halfway around the world 2,000 years later. And those celebrations really have only just begun. What an enormous task, what an enormous responsibility placed on such slender shoulders. So who was it that God saw fit to choose for this task? Who was Mary? We don't know much about Mary, but we do know some things. We know that she was engaged to a carpenter from Nazareth, which is not a, a kind of glamorous metropolis. It's not a place where you would really expect anything wonderful to happen in or to come from. Uh, so she is engaged to Joseph, a carpenter or a craftsman from Nazareth in Galilee. An unremarkable place. You'll remember uh, what Philip uh, says to Nathaniel. He, he, he comes alongside Nathaniel and he says, We've found the one that Moses and the law and the prophets spoke of, pointed forward to. It's like he's been reading Malachi. He has been remembering and reflecting on, on the word of the Lord. And so he is ready to receive. Jesus, when Jesus comes and he's so excited that he runs to Nathaniel, he tells him, we found the one that Moses spoke about in the law and the one that the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathaniel turns and says to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So it's not a bustling metropolis. It's not near Jerusalem eh, geographically or in terms of standing or in terms of culture or in terms of history. It's not in the same league, but God often looks to the least likely people living in the least likely places to bring forth faith and to pour out blessing. And if you go to the least likely places in the world today, that is what you will find. The places that our world, our society tends to look down upon are the places that God is doing remarkable things. He is bringing forth faith. He is pouring out blessings. 
And we ought to to look to these places, not just to, to help and to give our aid and to give our assistance, but to be challenged by the example that they set in so many ways. Certainly true when it comes to Mary. So Mary is young. She's engaged to a carpenter or a craftsman called Joseph from Nazareth in Galilee, kind of working class area to the north of Jerusalem. And uh, we also know that they are not wealthy. They are not rich. So Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord as they are instructed in the law of the Lord to do. And uh, they take the appropriate sacrifice. And Luke tells us in Luke chapter 2 and verse 22, Luke, remember, assures us he has carefully investigated all of these details at the start of his gospel He tells us what they took to the temple. So, chapter 2, verse 22, when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him, took Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. So no mention there of a lamb, which is a kind of standard sacrifice that they were supposed to bring. But God and His mercy and in His goodness to His people has provided for those who are unable to afford a lamb. So, if you read Leviticus chapter 12, you'll see that they're supposed to bring a lamb and a a bird, but if they are unable to afford a lamb, then they are allowed to bring two birds, two doves or two young pigeons, and that's what they bring according to Luke. So, we know that they are not rich, they are not wealthy. They bring to the Lord the offering that is provided for those who are not able to afford a lamb. So, she is young, she is engaged, she is from Nazareth in Galilee, she is not rich. It's a kind of consistently unspectacular list And yet, what a completely spectacular thing is about to happen in her life, and what a wonderful example her life leaves to us today to learn from and to be challenged by. We don't worship Mary, we don't venerate Mary, we don't pray to Mary, but we ought to look to Mary, to give thanks to God for Mary, and to be challenged by the example that this young woman leaves to us today. This young woman from Nazareth in Galilee, of all places, God sends Gabriel to meet with Mary and to deliver to Mary a message which will change her life forever. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
So that's good so far, but somewhat scary. If you're walking down the road one day, suddenly an angel appears with a message from God to you. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. What would you feel? How would you react? Luke tells us, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This changes everything for Mary. What will become of Mary now? How will she be received by her community, by her fiancé? What will this mean for the wedding for the marriage, for the rest of Mary's life. She is living in a society where this will be a huge scandal. Her husband-to-be will be expected to divorce her. I know that seems strange because if we're engaged to someone and we, we split up, we don't get divorced. But Mary isn't actually engaged to Joseph. She is betrothed to Joseph. So there's a kind of contractual arrangement, agreement that's already been made. There's, there's a, what we would call, I suppose, a dowry has, has been passed from one family to the other family. Uh, the respective communities know what is about to happen. It's all kind of set in place. And for that to be pulled apart now will be so destructive to Mary's life because it will leave her living uh, in the, the shadow of shame really, for the rest of her life. Uh, Joseph's family will be expected to reject her. her. Their community will be respected, expected to reject her. Mary's own community, and perhaps even Mary's family, will be expected to reject her. And she can't just have this child and get a job and work to provide in that culture, in that community. There's no uh, child benefit or state help. She is incredibly vulnerable. This news changes everything. What will this mean for the wedding, for the marriage, and for her? life? And how will she feel as she begins to process this information that the angel has just given to her? Luke doesn't take us 
far into the mind of Mary. But it must surely have been daunting for her. She must have had dreams about the marriage and about her life with Joseph. And this news brings all of those dreams, whatever those dreams were, into doubt. I'm going to use an illustration from friends now. Brace yourself. I, uh, I'm quite impressed with myself. I was looking in the, the barrel that must be somewhere in my mind for illustrations, and I've exhausted, been here nearly 10 years now, I've exhausted all the Boys Brigade stories uh, all the footballing illustrations, all the family illustrations. I was hoping for Grace or Katie to do something really helpful to me through the course of this week past, but it never happened. So I'm looking about, scraping about the bottom of this barrel somewhere in my brain, and to my shock, I found an illustration from Friends. I'm shocked because I never really liked Friends when it was on the television, never really watched it, but I had friends who liked Friends, if that makes sense. So I saw a few episodes. I know this illustration is now about 15 to 20 years out of date, but I'm still impressed with myself. And if you liked Friends and watched Friends, this is as good as it's going to get from me, I'm afraid. But there's an episode in Friends where Ross is getting married, or about to get married, to a woman called Emily. I had to check that, I admit, on the internet. And uh, he's preparing for this wedding with Emily, but he's feeling a bit hard done by. He feels that he's not having the same input into the preparations for the wedding that Emily is, and he feels that's not very fair, that's not very just, and he's having a good moan about this to his sister, Monica. So he's having a moan that he's not as involved in the plans and the preparations for the wedding as his fiancée, Emily, is. And his sister says to him, Ross, how long have you been preparing for this wedding? He says, I don't know, maybe a month. And she says to him, Ross, Emily has been preparing for this wedding since she was five years old. She has been dreaming about the perfect place, the perfect presence, the perfect cake with the wee people on the top, She's been putting this wedding in place in her mind since she was a wee girl. So just stand back and, and, and let her do her thing. I don't know why that's stuck in my Maybe I saw that episode when I just met Deborah or something. Who knows? But it's stuck in my mind. And maybe Mary was like that. Maybe she had all these plans sort of beginning to take shape in her mind from the time that she was a very young girl. And now she had met her man, she had met Joseph, the plans were really been put in place. And then out of the blue, she meets this angel. And everything changes. These hopes, these dreams, these plans are, are just shattered into a million pieces. And there is no hope that she can pick them all up and, and stick them all back together again. How does she feel? How does she feel? 
How would you feel if you had plans for your life that seemed very, very good to you? They'd taken a long time to really begin to put into place. You'd taken the first few steps in that direction, and then suddenly they are shattered, broken into a million pieces, and you know that you'll never be able to pick all these pieces up and, and glue them back together. How would you feel if that happened to you? If God seemed to bring to you another plan that was, that was nothing like the plan that you had for your life, and frankly a plan that seems somewhat scary, how would you feel? There are so many ways that Mary could have felt, so many ways that Mary could have reacted to this news. Fierce anger, this is not the way it was supposed to be. Or confused denial, sometimes that's how we react when we are met with news which just seems to shatter every, everything. We, we sort of refuse to believe or cannot quite bring ourselves to believe that this is really real. It could have been paralyzing fear, couldn't it? Instead, she says simply, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Isn't that amazing? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Before she is Joseph's fiancée or anything else, she is the Lord's servant. I was greatly challenged by that this week. I tried it out to see what it sounded like to me. Before I am Deborah's husband, before I am Katie and Gracie's dad, before I am Airdrie Baptist Church's, Church's uh, pastor, I am the Lord's servant. It's very challenging. Can you say that? Can you, can you put your status, if you're a believer, as a servant of the Lord above all of your other roles and responsibilities and titles? I am a servant of the Lord. May it be to me as the Lord has said. I suppose that is what we say in church or what we sing in church anyway, isn't it? We sing all of my ambitions, hopes, and plans. I surrender these into your hands. I wonder how much uh, thought we put into those words before they, they flow from our lips. Mary certainly could have sung those words with absolute conviction and with absolute integrity. She trusts and she obeys because she knows that she is a servant of the Lord. And she, in doing that, challenges us to, in the words was it of Haggai, to consider our ways. Are we like Mary? Are we living in the light of her example? Simple, childlike, faith, 
and trust that says even when our dreams are, are, are broken and shattered, even when God gives to us a, a plan for our lives, a calling on our lives which seems scary, one which we would not have taken to ourselves were it up to us, are we able to say with Mary, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. So, Jesus is born. We, we fly this morning. I'm sure we'll see later in our Advent period, you know, the, the shepherds and the angels, but we're going to jump over that for this morning's sermon. We're going to land back down in chapter 2 and verse 21. In fact, let's go to verse 25, actually. Luke tells us there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant. There's that phrase, that title again. You now dismiss your servant in peace. So from a very young woman... We move to a very old man. He is at the other end of life's spectrum. We might think if we were to stop at the end of uh, verse 29 that he has just had enough of his life. Uh, he's been waiting for God to fulfill this promise to him so that he can finally just let go, give up, and uh, come to the end of his, his, his journey. Uh, it's almost like, I don't really like this, this phrase, if I'm honest, it's quite an, an ugly phrase, but we hear often these days of a bucket list, and people have this list of things they want to do, of boxes they want to tick before they die. Uh, we, we might think, if we finish at the end of verse 29, that basically this is the last tick on Simeon's list, and now he is, he is good to go. Not so. Not so. We don't meet a man in Luke chapter 2 as we meet Simeon. We don't meet a man who is exhausted or exasperated with life. We meet a man who is filled with joy. We, we meet a, a frail old man who, who picks up uh, the author of creation in his frail old hands, and he looks at this child with, with utter and with absolute joy, because he knows who this child is, and who this child will be, and what this child will accomplish. He's filled with joy. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, verse 30, 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon knows that Jesus will bring God's salvation into the world. He will not just bring this salvation. He will be this salvation. Simeon holds the baby that will become the man, Christ Jesus. He holds the boy, I suppose we should say, who will become the man who will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the one who will not just bring salvation, he will be salvation to all who recognize him and receive him. He will grow to live a sinless life. He will grow to humble himself, to become obedient, to live under the law, and to become obedient to die a sinner's death on the cross for us, not just for the Jews, but for all who will receive him, for all who will believe on his name. He will bring the salvation of God to the world. That doesn't mean to every individual in the world. That means to every people group in the world. To all who will receive him, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Not just to the people in Jerusalem or Judea or even Samaria, but to the ends of the earth, to all who will receive him. He will bring, he will be God's salvation. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. Salvation and revelation. Before Jesus came, we never knew God. We could have looked to the stars in the sky, to the mountains and the horizon. We could have looked to the greatness of the world that God has made and worked some things out. We should be able to look to the world that God has made and be able to say there is a God. He is big. He is beautiful. He is creative. He is worthy of our worship. We should be able to work these things out just from what God has made that we can see. But that's as far as it would have gone. For the Jews, they could have gone further. They knew the name of God because He revealed it to them. They knew the name of God and they knew the nature of God because they have the, the law and the prophets. But now Jesus comes into the world to reveal who God truly is, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. For us too, it's like we've been stumbling around in the darkness and suddenly now the light has been switched on and we can see who God is. That's what Jesus said, is it not? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you know me, you have known the Father. Jesus said both of those things. The light has been switched on and we have a choice. We can 
We can run into the light and we will have our sins exposed. We can confess our sins and find that God is loving and merciful. He is full of forgiveness and He will wash those sins away in Christ Jesus. He will welcome us into His family forever. We can run into the light confess our need, receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, or we can run back to try and hide in the darkness for as long as we can, which won't be that long. But the light now has been switched on. Jesus has come. The light of the world has come. Salvation and revelation have come And we can know God now, not just as just judge, but as loving Father through simple faith in Christ Jesus. What great news for Gentile and for Jew alike. And Simeon notes that he will bring glory to the Jews, because, of course, salvation is from the Jews. Why is salvation from the Jews? Because Jesus is from the Jews. So, what do you see when you see Jesus? There is a question for you this Christmas. What do you see when you see Jesus? Simeon saw Jesus and said to God, My eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Mary and Simeon are two very different people, different ends of the spectrum of life, but they model the way that faith in Jesus drives out fear, They are remembered by us, both Mary and Simeon, not for their words of fearfulness for Mary in the face of this whole new life, having had the life she thought she was going to live taken from her. And for Simeon, as he he faces death, they're, they're not known for their words of fear. They're known for their songs of faith. That's how the church remembers uh, Mary and Simeon, for their their songs of faith, their songs of, of, of gratitude to God for His goodness to them. Simeon doesn't fear death as he holds God's salvation in his hands, and we need not fear death we hold the gift of Jesus in our hearts. We know Him as our Lord and Savior. We treasure Him. We need not fear death. Death is is the doorway to life. Life as it was always meant to be lived. Life in abundance. Life lived in the presence and in the love of God. In the fullness of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We need not fear death. But sometimes the reality is this. Sometimes life is scarier than death. And it's good news to remember at Christmas and always that Jesus Christ frees His people not just from the fear of death, but from the fear of life. There is, there is nothing in this life which will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we need fear nothing, because whatever we face, He will be with us, He will be for us, He will love us. And if we have that, we have all that we truly need. That which matters most cannot be taken from us. So on that day when Mary met the angel and was given this life-changing news, she was still able to say, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be to me as you have said. Her identity as the servant of the Lord could not be changed. And our identity as children of God in Christ Jesus cannot be taken from us, cannot be changed by anything that we face in this life all because of Jesus, the greatest gift that has ever been given. Servants of the Lord need not fear life. Even when our plans are broken before our very eyes and all we can do is cling on in, in childlike trust. I hope that this Christmas we remember how special Jesus is and that we learn to trust Him. I know that some of us have been on this journey for a long, long time, but that we learn to trust Him that wee bit more. And as we do that, that any fear that we have would give way to faith and to trust, and that faith would bring glory to God and joy us, Jesus' people. I said just a few moments ago that Mary and Simeon are both remembered for the songs that they have left to the church, and we, we uh, stand together now to sing a paraphrase of Mary's song, Tell Out My Soul, The Greatness of the Lord.